I love to study American history and especially the history of our presidents. And John Adams, our nation's second president, has such a fascinating life. Um, He and his wife, Abigail, were married for 54 years and they had a synchronized marriage and relationship. Um, uh, they, they complimented one another. He was passionate and fiery and um, opinionated and personality sometimes got in the way of himself. And she was his ballast. And, and she was his intellectual and spiritual equal. They had a, a wonderful marriage. And, and the greatest treasure of their marriage uh, to Americans today, the greatest treasure is the nearly 1,200 letters uh, we have that they wrote to each other. They, they still survive today, and, and in fact, uh, they have all been kind of put on a, a digital library, and you can look them up. In fact, if things get slow in the next 30 minutes, you can just get on your iPad, and you can just look at their letters. And so some of them were cute and funny. Um, for example, here's one letter. Let me just save you the trouble here, all right? Um, uh, in one letter, John wrote this to Abigail. He began his letter, Dear Miss Saucy, (laughs) I may try that. I'll let you know how it goes next week. Dear Miss Saucy, I hereby order you to give me as many kisses and as many hours of your company as I shall please to demand and charge them to my account. That was... They had had funny letters like that. You can find those letters. Um, uh, other letters were um, more serious, and, and s- most of them simply just reported their day-to-day uh, events of their lives. Almost 1,200 between the two of them. Um, you know why they wrote so often? They were separated so often. Um, when he was in the Continental Congress, um, months at a time, And for one stretch, they were separated for five years. They did not see one another for five years. And their only connection was letter writing. Um, And you can hear the ache of their separation in some of their letters. For instance, in one, she wrote to him, I dare not express to you how ardently I long for your return. The idea plays about my heart and awakens all the tender sentiments that years have increased and matured. And then he wrote back, Is there no way for two friendly souls to converse together, although separated? Yes, by letter. But I want better communication. I want to hear you think, see your thoughts. The conclusion of your letter makes my heart throb more than a cannonade would. You bid me burn your letters, but I must forget you first. They really loved each other. and They really missed each other when they were apart. They ached. They ached. Have you ever felt that kind of ache? You ever had that kind of ache when you miss someone? I know some of you have. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of the spouses of of those who have um, been deployed on behalf of our nation's service. And the distance 
brings the ache. I'm also thinking of uh, parents' distance from their children. The ache, an ache that says, I want to I hear you think. I want to see your thoughts. I want to touch you. I want to see you face to face. I want to find out what's going on with you. I care about you. I care about you. I miss you. Those aches, those feelings, those emotions are all over our scripture reading this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning in verse 17. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. We are studying through Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians in a series called The Power of Encouragement. And I, I, I want us to see in these verses Paul's um, ache, his heart for this congregation that he can't get to and... Verses that tell us about the kind of community we need to have here and the kind of feelings we need to have for one another here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. You'll find that on page 986 of your church Bibles. Follow along with me. Paul writes to this church, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is God's word. Uh, This is a very different letter than, uh, say, Paul's letter to the Romans or Paul's letter to the Ephesians or to the Colossians. I mean, in those letters, you can basically divide it into... um, Part one, 
This is what God wants you to believe. Part two, this is how God wants you to behave. That's, that's Ephesians. That's Ephesians 1 through 3, 4 through 6. Uh, and that's Colossians 1 and 2, 3 and 4. That's Romans 1 through 11, 12 through 16. Right? What, what, here's what God wants you to believe. Here's how God wants you to behave. That's, that's not this. Here, actually, in 1 Thessalonians 1 through 3, it's, here's how I feel about us. This is how, I mean, I just love you. And I long for you and I miss you. And then in chapters 4 and 5, here's what will help your faith. I mean, that's basically how 1 Thessalonians plays out. These verses that I just read here answer a very important question, which is this. What does true community look like in a local church? What does healthy, authentic, relational community look like when relationships are real, when authenticity takes the day? What, what does that look like? And these verses give us four traits. And we're just going to run through them here this morning. Trait number one, when we're apart from each other, we ache. Trait number two, when we're with each other, we encourage. Trait number three, when one of us endures, we all rejoice. And trait number four, always, 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 we pray. There it is. Those four traits. Those traits existed uh, between Paul and the Thessalonians 2,000 years ago and produced healthy relationships. And those traits, oh, they will ensure our spiritual health today. And, and, and let me just tell you uh, wh- where I'm coming from when I look at these traits. Um, I- I'm, I'm not up here to, to say, now church... Try harder. Okay, you're not, you're not cutting it. That's not my heart at all. My heart is, wow, I look at this, and it's like, wait a minute, is Paul talking about them, or is he talking about us? Wow, wow. I mean, there's just there's a high level of community here. Wow. And then my prayer is, God, would you just grow that? Grow these traits. See, that's where I'm coming from. So let's look at these four traits. The first is, when we're apart from each other, we ache. Did you get that in verse 17? Paul talks about being torn away from the Thessalonians. You remember, don't you? He arrived in Thessalonica, having had a church planting experience in Philippi. And when Paul got to Thessalonica, uh, his back was still bruised uh, and, and blistered from the persecution. Uh, of his time in Philippi. He and Silas arrived, and Paul joined a, a, a leather workers association and started making tents and awnings and other leather products that went to market. That's, that's how Paul supported himself. That was his tradecraft and his work ethic and his work product and his work attitude. These qualities gave him credibility when it was time for him to share his faith. Here, this remarkable man, he was a rabbi, he was well-schooled, he was Hebrew, 
and he was a Roman citizen. He could work with his hands. He could think with his mind. He had an attractive quality about him. And on Saturday, as a part of his Sabbath rest, he attended worship with his uh, uh, fellow Hebrew family uh, and brothers and sisters uh, at the synagogue. And one Sabbath, actually over three Sabbaths, he was invited to teach. And he took to the to the teaching place, and he began to speak about the prophets and how they foretold the coming of a deliverer, God's chosen Messiah, to rescue his people and usher in his kingdom. And then, Paul said, there was a man named Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. He was a man accredited by signs and wonders and miracles. And, and Paul just you know, lined up the life of Christ with the, the prophets of old and their predictions of the coming and, and came to the conclusion, this man, Jesus, is the Christ, the Son of God. And, and people responded. I mean, they evaluated Paul's life and his words and his testimony and his eyewitness account of the resurrected Christ, and they came to the conclusion that Jesus is in fact the Christ of God. And Acts chapter 17 verse 4 says, some of them were persuaded as were a many, many, a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And this church gathering began to form this assembly of Christ followers hungry for truth. And it was thrilling, and it was soul-satisfying, and it was breathtaking, and that's when the riot began. Jealous Jews, fearful of losing influence and and power and people, accused Paul of treason against the Roman government, uh, of supporting another king, this other king named Jesus. Well, when the city officials got wind of this, they quaked because they did not want a whiff of uh, insurrection talk getting back to Rome. They loved their status as a free city so much they did not want their city occupied by the Roman legions. So they made one of the Christians, Jason, put up a chunk of money to ensure peace. And Jason, in turn, got Paul and Silas out of town by night. And Paul eventually went south in the southern part of Greece, Corinth. But he was frustrated. He was frustrated. Things were going so well. Relationships were being formed. The gospel was growing in their hearts. This church started meeting, and then he had to leave. What's up with that? This massive heartache. And that's where we get to this first trait. When we're apart from each other, we ache. Verse 17, we were torn away from you. You know, literally that phrase, we were orphaned from you. We were orphaned from you. But get this, Paul is the one who is the orphan here. Isn't that interesting? Because in Thessalonians, it just drips with family word pictures. Why? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul likens, likens himself as a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And then in verse 11, Paul likens himself as a father with his children, exhorting and encouraging. But here, here, 
Paul says, I'm the orphan. I've been orphaned from you. I feel like my house has been raided and I've been yanked from the arms of those I love, kicking and screaming and crying and stretching out my arms. Verse 18, we wanted to come to you. And then to emphasize, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. How did that happen? Well, we're not exactly sure. The word, the word hinder there means, means to destroy a road, to make a road impassable, like when the legions would make a road impassable to the enemy army. And maybe it was Paul's health. Maybe that's how he was obstructed from getting back to them. Maybe it was just the fact that he was expelled from Thessalonica and he just couldn't get there because he wasn't allowed to be there. Or maybe once he got to Corinth and the ministry that took place there, it turned out to be a mess, a mess. And that ministry mess detained him. We don't know. But what we do know is that Paul can't get to the people that he loves. And he aches over it. When we're apart from each other, we ache. Do we? Do we? Are we willing to get close enough to one another here in this room, in this community, that we actually miss each other when we're not with each other? Good. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Are we willing to take the necessary emotional and relational risks which are required in any healthy relationship? Are we? Or are we? Or do we feel it's just safer to stay on the surface so that we don't have to risk being wounded? Because we've been wounded before and we don't want to have to go there again. See, Someone once wrote, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. Paul misses them. He aches over them. He's like this proud beaming parent on graduation, verses 19 and 20. You're my hope. You're my joy. You're my crown of boasting. You're my glory. When Christ comes, I want to show you off to him. That's how he feels. That's how he feels. And that's how I feel about you. I do. When I hear about the missions trips that are taking place, when I hear about your spiritual conversations at work, when, when I... Uh, When I hear faith stories, not only up here, but faith stories at at Celebrate Recovery, my goodness, I just think this is church. This is church. This is why the gospel is good news. Faith stories of changed lives and faith stories of people whose stories are still being played out because not all of the faith stories that we hear at Windsor Road are neat and tidy. 
But in all of them, I hear, I hear that God is my supply. God is my peace. God is my strength. And I'm thinking, yes, yes, you are a glory. You are a joy. And so when we're apart from one another, we ache. We ache. And when we're with each other, we encourage. That's chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. When we're apart from each other, we ache, and when we're with each other, we encourage. So, so Paul's ache was so great, you know, finally, you know, he sent Timothy. He couldn't go himself because, you know, if he went, he'd be recognized, there'd be an uprising, but Timothy's going to be able to fly underneath the radar. And, and so Timothy went to make sure that the Thessalonians knew that, that Paul was trying to get to them but couldn't, and so Timothy was there to encourage them and coach them in their faith. His mission is described in verses 2 and 3. To establish and exhort you in your faith so that no one be moved by these afflictions. Now, why would the Thessalonians be moved by afflictions? What is that all about? Well, here's what that's about. You see, the Thessalonians had been living in a story. Call it the story of Rome. And the story of Rome goes something like this. Here's the story of Rome. Life is good. The economy is good. Oh, the economy was great in Thessalonica because, you know, there was the Ignatian Way and there was a lot of commerce and traffic and people and buying and selling. Life is good. The economy is good. Everything is good. Don't rock the boat. Keep, keep Rome happy. Keep the gods happy. They're not really involved in your life anyway. They're indifferent. They're disinterested. So don't give them a reason to be interested in your life. Don't give them a reason to pay attention to you. Just feed the gods by going to the temple and giving your sacrifices to appease them. Honor your ancestors. Remember the traditions of your family. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Conform. Conform to the pattern of the world. And perhaps, maybe, maybe fate will be on your side and give you a break and you'll have some semblance of success in this life before you die. That's the story of Rome. That's the story of Rome. In the story of Rome, if you suffer... It means because you messed up, that's why. You suffer, you're weak, you've done something wrong, you've upset the gods or your ancestors, and you better work your tail off to make up for your mistake. That's the story of Rome. And Paul brought another story. And his story didn't start with Rome. His story began with God. There is one God, the true God, the living God, the God who is over all and above all, who made all that we see. And this God is very interested in you. You matter to him. And out of his love, he entrusted the stewardship of this world to our spiritual ancestors, Adam and Eve, who in a moment of treason caused all the brokenness that we see. But God, because of his great love for us, did not pulverize us, but rather he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to do for us what we could not do ourselves. He repaired. He restored our relationship with God by offering himself and his life for our lives. And he exemplified the grace of God because there's nothing more for us to do other than trust. <laughs> the work we must do, the work of faith, trusting Believing, And as we trust him, 
He forms community, family forever changed by grace. And it's a community that crosses racial boundaries and economic boundaries and boundaries of class. It's a kingdom community that will last forever. And when the Thessalonians heard this gospel story, there was something about it that resonated with them, filled them, gave them hope and meaning and purpose. And some of the Thessalonians were relieved because, you know, they didn't have to spend the rest of their lives trying to earn the favor of the gods. And others realized that they had everything they wanted in life, but their hearts were still hollow. See, they had climbed to the top of the mountain, to the summit, only to realize they had climbed the wrong mountain. And there was a hole in their heart that only God could fill. So they changed stories. They changed stories. But let me tell you, when you change stories, you put yourself in a collision course with the world that will fiercely fight to keep its way. And in verses 3 and 4, Paul reminds them that he and they are suffering because they change stories. See, see whenever, we struggle, whenever we struggle, it's easy to ask, well, why is this happening and how long is this going to happen and, and why is God angry with me? And Paul says that God's people suffer not because God is angry, it's because we have an enemy and this world is broken and all is not as it should be for now. And you'd think if you just had all the answers, you'd be satisfied. No, you would. That's, a, that's an idol. What you need is God's presence. Emmanuel, God is with us. God has done that through his son, Jesus. And if they crucified our king, what do you think they're going to do to you? Paul says, what if we told you this? Verse 4, when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. So you see, Paul can speak to their suffering because he's suffering too. He's not some disinterested person up in the C-section critiquing. No, he's on the field too, hurting along with them. And Timothy went to help them stay strong and to stand firm. We were destined for this. This is not by accident. This is by appointment. Everything's playing out. Your afflictions do not reveal God's anger. Your afflictions and pressures and trials are there to develop you and strengthen you. To strengthen you. We know that. We know that in terms of our physical body, right? Look, I I like to work out. I I go to a strength training class. It's a part of my routine. But I I confess to you this. If I could just swallow a capsule, you know, if if I could just get fit Captain America style, wouldn't it be great? You know, just put me in the container, inject me with the superhero formula, and behold, let there be six-packs. That would be wonderful. Oh, yes. What a pleasant fiction. You know that's not how it works. Here's how it works. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work in you so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What we need to be strengthened is to be strengthened together in community 
encouraging one another, encouraging one another. And you know, one of the reasons why I go to that exercise class is because I don't think I'm strong enough to be strong by myself. So, I need community. And that's Paul's point. When we're apart from each other, we ache. And when we're with each other, we encourage. And when one of us endures, we all rejoice. That's what's behind verse 6. See, Timothy returned from Thessalonica to give Paul a report, and he had good news. He had good news. All is well, Paul, meaning this. They're still suffering, and they're staying strong. See, they're still suffering, and they're staying strong. Paul, they, and, and Paul, they miss you just as much as you miss them. God is taking care of them. What a relief that was when Paul heard that news. Paul could just could breathe a sigh. Verse 8, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For now we live if you are standing fast. Listen, listen. When you do well, we do well. When you do well, we do well. Your life affects others. I'm telling you, and I mean the people in this room, whether or not you believe whether or not you grow, whether or not you speak, whether or not you stay silent, whether or not you get involved, whether or not you finish, whether or not you overcome temptation, whether or not you have a good attitude when you walk into a room, whether or not you endure or quit, it affects others. How you live your life affects others in a healthy church community. And right now, right now, people you may or may not know, they're depending on you They're depending on you. They're leaning on you. Right now, your standing fast in the Lord is giving spiritual life to others. I'm telling you. Verse 8, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Do you know that? And you may want to push back on that. You know, you may say, look, I I don't, pastor, I don't want that responsibility. (laughs) I don't want to worry about my impact on others. I want others to worry about their impact on me. Brothers and sisters, if that's how you really feel, you may need two or three things. Um, First of all, you may need a nap. You know, because you, you're just tired. And, and tired people often say such things. You may need a meal. Your blood sugar is low and you're cranky. I know. I'm there. Ask my wife. Paul offers prayer. He offers prayer. And, and, and if what I just said... You know, that's how you feel. You need prayer. You do. Um, And so I wish you'd come forward at the end of the service and let our elders pray over you. Let me pray over you. And verse 10, supply what is lacking in your faith. 
Supply what is lacking in your faith. And they're, you're saying such things because you're, you're just, you're, your faith is lacking. And that's no shame. Because I'll tell you, everybody's faith flags. Everybody's. Your faith flags. Mine. Yes. My faith flags. Everybody's faith flags. And that's why we need prayer in community. And of course, it's natural then that's, that's why Paul ends this section in prayer, right? Always, 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 always we pray. Verses 11 through 13. You see, prayer closes the distance. Prayer brings distant people together. And prayer brings close people even closer. These verses, prayer to get to each other. Prayer to endure what we cannot change. Prayer to keep love strong. Prayer, prayer to be holy. Another word for that is remarkable. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Extraordinary people. And prayer for hope. This, this stubborn insistence that despite all the evidence, something better exists if we have the courage to endure. So naturally, this passage ends with prayer. The prayer of someone who loves someone else so much that he's frustrated about the distance between them, so he sends word to check on them because he's worried about them, only to well up with joy at the news of what the gospel is doing in and through them. Thank you, God. When we're apart from one another, we ache. When we're together, we encourage. When one of us endures, we rejoice. And always, 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 we pray. You know, ironically, had Paul not been separated from them, he would not have written what he wrote in this letter. His separation from them led to writing this letter to encourage their endurance, and that letter still speaks today to us. Isn't that amazing? In God's providence, he allowed their separation. He allowed the ache to happen so that the encouragement could continue 2,000 years later This letter still speaks today. So, are we willing to risk being vulnerable in order to love and be loved? Are we? Are we willing to invest our lives in others to build and strengthen them, to be a blessing to them, to help them endure hardship? And is our love for one another, is that love so fierce and so pure that your promotion and your victory and your graduation and your raise and your fame brings me joy. When we're apart from each other, let's ache. When we're together with one another, let's encourage. And when one of us endures, let's rejoice. And always, 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 let's pray. Let's pray. Those are the traits of a healthy community. One more thing about John and Abigail Adams. Um, You know, he addressed his letters to her with phrases like, Dear Miss Saucy. (laughs) She always, always addressed her letters to John. My dearest friend. My dearest friend, 
And their correspondence ended when he retired because they were finally together and no longer separated until she died. And Abigail's last words to him were, do not grieve my friend, my dearest friend. I'm ready to go. And John, it will not be long. 